wish that at some point she would come clean you know, and say what happened exactly, but I'm not really holding my breath or anything like that. I don't think Katie Rattan is capable of ever admitting what she did or telling anybody where she might have put Logan or what she actually did to him. It's been, what, 16 years now and she's kept quiet. I don't think she's going to talk anytime soon. The story of Logan's disappearance would pop up in local newspapers now and again. In November of 2007, the sheriff's office announced they searched the area of Cedardale by plane and car after they found a map in Catherine's prison cell that had the area circled. Cedardale is about 30 miles southeast of Woodward. Investigators weren't sure why the map was circled or if it belonged to Catherine, but the search turned up nothing. In February 2008, Woodward County Sheriff Les Morton announced that he had called in a psychic to find Logan. The psychic's name was Jeff Baker. He had made an appearance on the Lifetime Channel's America's Psychic Challenge. Woodward residents donated money to pay for Baker's initial travel and lodging. At the time, Baker said his search in Woodward County turned up some good leads. He never found Logan. In October of 2010, deer hunters discovered bones about a mile southwest of Fort Supply. The same area was searched when Logan went missing. The Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation announced that the bones were small. The Woodward News reported that the remains were an animal paw. I figured it was a trillion to one odds that Catherine would tell me she murdered her son and where she put him. A billion to one that she would talk to me. A million to one that she would respond to a letter. In April of 2018, I went with my best odds and wrote Catherine at Mabel Bassett Correctional Center in McLeod, Oklahoma. From NewsOK.com and The Oklahoman, I'm Josh Delaney. You're listening to Looking for Logan Tucker, Part 5. Call me Katie. My first letter to Catherine was simple. Hi, Catherine. I'm a reporter at The Oklahoman. I'm writing you to request an interview about your case inside the prison. I want to hear your side of the story. If you agree to an interview, please notify me by mail. Thanks. While I waited to see if Catherine would actually write me back... I called Logan's brother, Justin. Justin told me he has never responded to Catherine's letters to him. I never wrote back to her. I've never gone to see her. Honestly, emotionally, I couldn't take it because she was trying to act like he did nothing wrong still. So just morally, I couldn't take it. So I put an end to the letters. I asked Justin what it would take for him to have contact with Catherine. Give the location to Logan's body. That is honestly what it would take. Because honestly, I don't think her being in jail is enough justice with his body still not found. Like others, Justin wonders why Catherine won't admit to what she was convicted of. I don't know. Honestly, I I wish she would, but 
honestly, I don't, I don't get why people don't. Once they know they're caught, I don't get why they don't talk. Because if she talked, she may have got a little less sentence. Catherine's first letter back to me was dated April 26th. She wrote in black ink, her handwriting in all print, neat, and tilted just to the left. And she writes, Mr. Delaney, thank you for the inquiry you sent me. I am pleased to hear that you want to hear my side of the story. I do, however, have grave concerns about agreeing to an interview. I have given them in the past. However, my side of the story was not told. And this is my main concern. Past interviewers told me that it would be told. There is so much I would share if I really knew that my story would be told. I am not saying no to an interview at this time. I am saying I need more reassurance that my story will be told. If you are still interested in interviewing me, please feel free to contact me again. Katie Rutan Pollard. Over the next few weeks, I exchanged letters with Catherine. Catherine's husband, Jason Pollard, sent me an email. He helped set up a phone call with Catherine. In fact, he was always helpful. Addressing me in each email is Mr. Delaney. My first phone call with Catherine was Wednesday, June 6th, at 1 p.m. You have a prepaid call. You will not be charged for this call. This call will be monitored and recorded, except for privileged calls with attorneys. Well, hello. Her voice was shockingly pleasant. The way we started chatting, Catherine and I could have been sitting at a bar. We talked about the weather. She had just got back from lunch. Had a bologna sandwich, some peaches and corn. She laughs easily. But I knew where the interviews were going to lead eventually. And where they would likely end. It was not tried off based off solely off of evidence. It was tried off of emotion. Um, there was a lot of stuff that was not questioned, I would say, with some of the witnesses. Unfortunately, on my attorney's part, um, he wouldn't listen to any of my family or some of the people on his staff advising him. My biggest problem with most of my trial was with Connie and Dawn Henson because she may be my birth mom, but she didn't raise me and she wasn't a part of my life. Her and her husband both testified then that I abandoned my kids in their care for over a year. That never happened and nobody challenged it. First of all, Logan would have been school age. Nobody questioned where did he go to school? Who was his teacher? Uh, nobody questioned like shot records and uh, what doctors did my boys attend, what daycare, what babysitter, you know, how did you provide for them? Okay. There was a lot of untruths being said on the stand and nobody challenged it. Early on, Catherine talked about her reluctance to accept media interviews. She had turned down several requests in the past. So much of what I say gets twisted around. And that's where I'm afraid to say anything. One of the things that they kept mentioning in my trial was that they found plastic and they found this in the trunk of my car. 
And they never once said it literally was wrapped around a microwave. You know, they set, set out to make me this monster without telling the truth. And I don't know how to defend myself. I don't know. Sorry, you've brought up so many different emotions in me lately that because I don't talk about it anymore because I thought nobody listened to me. Nobody wanted to hear, help me. Nobody wanted to hear me. And I don't know what to do anymore. Because it's like, it doesn't matter what I say. Nobody does the research. They just believe whatever Chris Ross said or what the sheriff said or what my birth mom said. Nobody checked anything. They just took it for face value. You now, I have no idea where my son's at. And I'm sitting in prison now. And, you know, where is Logan? You know, what is his life like now? What is he doing? Does he remember me? Does he think about me? You know, um, what's been told to him, you know, those things caught my mind. I asked Catherine about the different stories she told to friends and family about Logan's disappearance. I fully admit that I lied. And I can explain why, but it doesn't matter at this point. Um, at the time, I was trying to hurt somebody by not telling them what really, what had, you know. Um, so I, I chose to lie. And it was wrong, and it's, I can't undo it. I've uh, apologized, but um, I've sought out forgiveness. I've received the forgiveness. I also wanted to know what she thought about Justin's testimony during her trial. I believe that there's one thing consistent through the whole thing, and he's always mentioned a man, and I think that speaks volumes. And I think from day one, since they questioned him, to current date, he's had no contact with me whatsoever, and I promise you his dad and stepmother didn't have two kind of words to speak about me. So he couldn't have been influenced by me or my family because he wasn't a part of us. In Oklahoma, prisoners get 20 minutes at a time on the phone. A robo-voice came on and told us our call was about to end. Catherine offered to call me back in a few minutes. You have a prepaid call. You will not be charged for this call. This call is from... Katie Rutan. I told her Justin said he would have no contact with her until she says she murdered Logan and tells him where the body is. I wish I could answer the question for him. I wish I had the answer. And I respect his feelings completely. So I'm trying not to cry. Uh, I wish I could answer it. I wish I knew the answer. That's all I can say to that. I asked Catherine her batter boys what Logan was like. Oh my gosh. Very intelligent, uh, fun, energetic, inquisitive, very sweet, a very loving boy. And what was Justin like? Very quiet, um, loving also. Uh, I would say, you know, loving and gentle, I guess is the word I'm looking for. He was very, he's very gentle, or was gentle as a, a child. Logan is more of a hands-on, and Justin was more let-me-watch type. Um, they loved each other a lot, <laughs> a lot. 
they love to ride bikes and their little bikes and uh my uh dad gave them a little red wagon they love their little red wagon and they love playing uh well back then this sounds so funny now but back then it was nintendo <laughs> they love playing nintendo mario kart to be exact we talked about her multiple marriages I asked her why there were so many. I have been raised in church my entire life. Since I was adopted, I've been in church my entire life. I fell away for a while, but God's always been a center of my life. Um, That's part of the reason I got married was because I was living in sin and the guilt was overwhelming, so I got married. Not that I didn't love them, but under normal circumstances, I probably would not have married them. Catherine had declined to take a plea deal of manslaughter for 35 years. Chris Ross offered the deal in exchange for her telling the court where Logan's body was. He's good at what he does. I don't I don't have ill will against anybody. He did his job, and at the end of the day, he did his job. I was prepared for a guilty verdict of some kind, but life without, no, I was not prepared for that. The whole situation is upsetting. I... I know people want a, a closure, I want closure, and it frustrates me because I can't answer what they're wanting out of me. Where's Logan? I don't have that answer. I wish I had that answer. I asked her when she last saw Logan. In 2002, in my home, when I allowed him to leave with the person he left with, yes. It started to sound like the story she told investigators in 2002 that Logan left Woodward with her brother, Brian Marquardt. The robo-voice came on and told us our time was up. Catherine agreed to another interview the following week. She called me again on June 13th. It was another two-part conversation. She again said her case was tried off of emotions, not facts, and that Connie Henson, her natural mother, and Don Henson, Connie's husband, lied on the witness stand about taking care of Logan and Justin. I asked her about the man she said Logan left with in 2002. I allowed Logan to leave with someone, and he never came back. That's, I don't know what more to say. I don't have any, any more explanation than that. That's not what I was trying to say. I, I get upset, sorry. I've already given that name, and... And nobody chose to listen to me at at the time, and they made up their mind right then and there before they ever investigated. So it doesn't matter what I say at this point. Nobody wanted to listen to me 16 years ago, so I don't see what would change now. I asked her if she ever tried to contact the man who took Logan. I tried calling multiple times and never got a response. A response or got hung up on. Later in the interview, Catherine asked me how old I was. She seemed to enjoy finding out more about me. She doesn't have much contact with people on the outside. Mickey Cathcart, her adoptive father, keeps in touch with her. So does her husband, Jason. To break up the formality of it all, I asked her about her life in prison. I have a flat screen TV in my room. I also have an MP3 player. I have a game that has over 200 games on it that I can play. I describe prison living in a college dorm. 
don't get me wrong, it's not the ideal place to be, but it's not like California prisons. But what's it like from day to day? Okay, I get up, I have the, I have the funniest pod job. They call them pod jobs here. Hmm. We have an ice cooler, and I fill it up with ice every morning, and I fill up people's ice chest every morning, and then I go jog for about an hour every day. And then I come in, take a shower, and crochet until they let us, I go back out about 11, until they close the yard down, and then I come in, I crochet again. I take something quick for dinner, and then I go outside at 7 and jog with another girl, and... I come back in and do yoga for an hour, and then I take a shower, and I'm usually asleep by 9, 9.30. Catherine is in prison for life without parole. I asked her if she keeps any hope of getting out. I mean, you're going to find people like that in here that lose hope and give it up, but I, God's always given me a peace. You know, that's one thing a lot of inmates have said about me over the years is that they're like, do you just take a happy pill every morning? You know, because I'm always in a good mood. And I really live by what the Bible says, you know, don't worry about tomorrow for today has enough problems of its own. You know, I can't change the past. And I don't stress over stuff that I have no control over and I can't change. So I just live every day for what it is, you know. And I believe in God's time, you know, if, it, if he's, ready and willing for me to go home and shed light to things, then it's going to be on his time. You know, I'm going to do what I, I can do along the way, but I don't give up hope. I asked Catherine what it was like to see people leave prison. Mixed feelings, honestly. You're excited to see them leave, but you're sad because you miss their friendship. I mean, some of them will, after so long, you know, they're allowed to write us, so they stay in contact. Um, you know, in fact, I have a friend that's, she's getting ready to go home. She just made commutation, and uh, I'm going to miss her dearly. But I'm happy for her, you know, um, to go home to her kids and grandkids and uh, uh, her family, you know. We don't wish this on our worst enemy, you know. It's, it's not the best place, but it's not a horrible place either. Our call ended. But I received another letter from Catherine, postmarked June 18th. She included a headshot of herself in a wedding gown, with a little tiara on her head, smiling. And she wanted me to know she had moved cells in Mabel Bassett Correctional Center. She was entering a new dog training program there. I had told her that I had kids too. And in her letter, she said she hoped I had a happy Father's Day. We talked again on June 27th. I asked her what she would say to Justin. Just said I love him, and I'm here when he's ready. And I respect his faith. I just love him with all my heart. And I'm proud of everything that he is doing and being the person he is. Again, I asked her about the man she said took Logan. I'm still going to decline answering that at the moment. Catherine said she wants her story out there, but she's been betrayed and backstabbed by too many people. Predetermined and made up their mind without really looking at the whole story. And that's where I'm so frustrated because I feel so helpless because I can't get anybody to listen 
to what I've been trying to say, you know, for 16 years. And I'm looked at as some inhuman, horrible monster. Yes, I, I screwed up, and I did lie to some people. I know that. And I was wrong for telling those lies, okay? But that doesn't make me a murderer. And everybody keeps saying it's about Logan. No, it's about crucifying someone. I wanted to know more about the day of her arrest. What Monty Clem was like. He was the lead investigator on the case. Catherine and her husband Jason were living in the Bartlesville area in eastern Oklahoma. Jason was at work when Monty and Sheriff Les Morton showed up to arrest her. I had actually just got home from work, and I was on the phone with a friend, and somebody knocked on my door. I answered the door, and they asked if there was so-and-so lived at my house, and I said no, and then... He called me by my name, and that's when they all came around and arrested me. I just, like, when he came to arrest me, he looked at me and had kind of a smirk on his face. And he said, do you remember me? And I recognized him, but I couldn't remember his name. And I called him by the wrong name, and he's like, no, I'm Monty Clint. It was a four-hour drive in an SUV back to Woodward, with Monty at the wheel. Before they left the Bartlesville area, Monty stopped at a quick trip and bought Catherine a soda. Later, he stopped at a Brahms ice cream in Enid and offered to buy her something to eat. Catherine declined. Monty allowed her to call her husband. She told Jason to call her the lawyer. But I do remember Monty saying... I know it's going to be a waste of my breath or a waste of my time, something along that line, because I know you're not going to say anything. And I said, you're right. And we proceeded right the, all the way to Woodward in silence. I thought they were out of their minds. I really did. We talked again on July 11th. Catherine asked me how my 4th of July was and told her it was good. Catherine was excited about training the dogs at Mabel Bassett Correctional Center. The program pairs rescue dogs with inmates. The inmates train the dogs for adoption. Catherine's dog is named Thumper. He got the name at a shelter. He is a yellow lab, actually. He is a shelter dog. The butt heads that had him burnt him with shock collars. He's got scars and burns and... Uh, they had, we don't know what else was on him, but he's got these severe scars up underneath his, like, armpits. Real bad. Um, he's a really good dog, though. He's very intelligent. Um, real sweet. So we don't understand why somebody would abuse him like this. Just idiots. I asked her if it was true that she treated Logan differently than Justin. As far as treating them differently, no, I treated them as far as I, my opinion would be I treated them equally, but I actually allowed Logan to get away with more things than I allowed Justin to get away with. I told her I wouldn't press her anymore that day about the man she said took Logan. I did ask her about the biker rally and the topless dancing contest. 
bike a rally in my entire life, yes. Logan was supposed to come back in two weeks, so about a week later, yes, I went to a bike a rally with Mike. But, so my behavior, I think, is very acceptable. I mean, not appropriate, maybe, for being a what t-shirt contest, but... He tried to twist it to where I was just living the high life, but Logan was supposed to come back. So I didn't behave any differently than any mother who knew their child was coming back. I asked her about trying to get Logan into a mental health facility. Yes, I was actually looking uh, for a boy's home because he had... uh, and I'm not comfortable right now going into it, but some issues that I can help him with. And sorry, it's hard for me because it just, they said there was a certain waiting period, and that's why I allowed him to leave and he was to come back. And he didn't come back. And all I was trying to do was get him help. We talked again on July 25th. Now, in our earlier talks, she asked me if I believed her or the state of Oklahoma. I told her I believed the state. She said the story is a wrongful conviction story. We talked a couple more times. On August 8th, I asked Catherine if she had any more to offer about the man she said took Logan. When I say that, it's because I trusted them to return my son. And then they just basically fell off the face of the earth. I hate to say it like that. I don't, you know, I don't understand why. I don't have answers. Um, I had a lot of anger for years about it. Um, But I've learned to let the anger go. Uh, I have a lot of hurt. Just the unanswered questions. Um, you know, and to me, that's this ultimate act of betrayal to do that to someone you say you love and someone you say you care about. And then totally destroy everything. I, I guess not really destroyed, but hurt. You, you hurt so many lives by doing whatever it is you've done by not returning Logan. I asked her to give me one name connected with her side of the story. I let him leave with my brother and he didn't come back. No explanation, no return phone call, no answering of a call, you know, and there's, you know, I have a lot of questions. I I would love to ask people and I don't think they would ever answer me. I asked Catherine if she was talking about her brother, Mickey, or her brother, Brian. Brian. You knew you were going to get it out of me eventually. When I brought up the FBI finding Brian in Maryland the day Catherine said he was in Woodward and took Logan, Catherine said, well, they didn't really do an investigation. I asked her why Logan hasn't reached out to her, if he is still alive. My thinking is, the age he was, and the age I was when I was adopted, you pretty much believe what anybody tells you at that age. 
So he could have been told any number of things about me. And some of the stuff I was told made me not want to search out family, my biological family. I thought my time with Catherine was coming to a close. After all these years, she still went with the Brian story. That Logan was camping with her brother and never came home. I told her that Monty Clam believed she murdered Logan. A jury believed she murdered Logan. Chris Ross believed she murdered Logan. Her son, Justin, believed she murdered Logan. Why not just admit it? Tell the world where the body is and alleviate some of Justin's pain. They offered me a really good deal. And if I had done what they say or believe that I did, trust me, I would have taken that deal instead of doing life without. Because I would be over halfway done with my time by now. Because trust me, I wouldn't put this through my my family through this. I don't care about the public in regards to what they're going through. My family is what's important to me. I asked Catherine if she just made up the story to get a chance to get out of prison, or maybe so she wouldn't have to deal with what she was convicted of, murdering her six-year-old son. She could do one good thing, by telling Justin where his brother is at. And I would if I had, if I had anything to say, or could say it, because he doesn't deserve that. I mean, you know I could Justin track down... and Logan and everybody else deserves the truth no matter who it's from because at the end of the day they're the ones that have been hurt the most out of all this I told Catherine that so many people surrounding her case called her the most cold-hearted person they had ever known our time together was ending indeed I mean that's her opinion as if you really really know me and take the time to get to know me you'll see a different side of me. About a couple weeks later, on August 20th, I got an email from Jason, Catherine's husband. The subject line was, quote, not heartless. Jason wrote, Mr. Delaney, Katie will not be calling this week. She feels like she's being investigated again, rather than being interviewed. We understand investigative journalism, but this was not the original stated purpose of the interviews. As to Brian being there, the flock statements matched Katie's description of Brian. If you have anything else you want Katie to address, please send her a letter with your questions, and I will let you know if she's prepared to answer them on the phone, or if she will respond to them in a letter. Sincerely, Jason Pollard. I told him thanks for the update. And because Catherine had mentioned Brian, I had to ask some questions. I wasn't trying to stress her out. I told Jason I'd write her a letter. On August 22nd, Jason sent me another email. Mr. Delaney, I apologize for making it seem like the reason Katie is not calling is because she is upset with you. She was a little concerned, but not upset. Please still send your questions and she will consider them before the next call. Sincerely. Jason Pollard. After several months of work, conducting interviews, reading thousands of pages of court transcripts, 
watching undercover videos. I had a lot more answers about the Logan Tucker case. I just didn't get the ultimate answer. But I did talk to the one person, other than Catherine, who last saw Logan. Like, if I was older, like, maybe I would have had more sense to maybe, like, you know, follow her or know what was going on. So maybe go to go get help at the time. But being that young, there was really nothing I could do. Looking for Logan Tucker is brought to you by The Oklahoman. Written by Josh Delaney. Produced by Paige Dillard, Dave Morris, and Phil O'Connor. Engineered by Todd Frazier and Greg Singleton. In the next episode of Looking for Logan Tucker, his brother Justin talks about the question that haunts his life. <laughs>